Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. We're going to take a few moments and pray and ask God's blessing on our time. And then we'll get going with the Bible study part. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just your love and your patience, your kindness, your long suffering. We thank you, God, for life that you give. We pray that you would fill this place tonight with your presence. We ask for your help. We ask God for your leading, your guiding. We pray, God, that we'd be open to what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives. So, Father, I pray for good ears to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to us tonight. I pray for a heart that is supple, soft, ready to respond to uh, the seed of your word being planted in us. So, God, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Ask God that we would be responsive and that we'd be open so have your way tonight we pray god uh, your power we pray god your peace we pray god your love fill this place we ask it in jesus name amen amen reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. When you get to Colossians, if you're wondering the order, it's uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You can remember that by General Electric Power Company. Yeah. Just a tip. Colossians chapter 2. And I need a volunteer that would read... Verses 14 and 15. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, leaving nailed, having nailed it. 
Next one. Mm-hmm. When he had dismissed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. All right, thank you. Uh, this passage, Paul is describing two things. There's two things going on here. The first verse that was read, verse 14, uh, speaks in legal terms. It's, it has to do with legalities, has to do with the way things uh, were done and canceled during that time frame. And verse 15 speaks in almost exclusively military terms. And so you have two different things that are happening there. Uh, one's legal and one has to do with uh, military. And so we're going to look at both of these because they're uh, pretty much the same thing. Uh, they describe the same act. They describe the same result. They describe the same thing that's going on in our lives, the same benefit that occurs, same person that's providing the benefit, and also describes how that benefit is realized, at least legally and militarily. And so uh, then what comes after that's our response to it, your response, my response as an individual. So we'll look at both of those. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at the legal side of it. And uh, it talked about how he had blotted out. And the word there meaning wiped out. And the idea is it's a debt. Uh, that which had been written against us. And so the idea behind that is a bond or a debt that's been written against us, something that we owe. And, and so because we owe it, then it's something that has a certain amount of control over us. It has a certain amount of uh, legal control over our lives. We owe it, and so we have to pay it, and we have to provide something in return for it. Now, remember, this society is different than the way we live our society, in our society. This is a society where uh, people would willingly put themselves into the service of others in order to pay off debt. Uh, people would willingly put themselves into the service of others in order to cancel out debt for a family member or whatever the case might be. And so these are things that affected people's lives. These are things that had to do with their freedom, had to do with their liberty. And so being in debt with someone was uh, often compared to being a servant of or being a bond servant of someone or a slave of someone else. And so that was the idea behind it. And so you've got this debt, you've got this bond that has been taken out, something that we owe. And so this verse talking about the work of Jesus, that he blots out that. And so think of handwriting. And he just takes it and he blots it out. In other words, he makes it of no avail. It can't be read anymore. And so he does this and cancels the bond that is against us. Or the idea is contrary to us. So what has happened is that God has created us and he created us to be free. And the bond in and of its very nature is contrary to that. Contrary to the way that we were created, contrary to the way that God had made us, contrary to the way that he had purposed for our lives, contrary to the things that uh, he had provided for us. And so he creates, he breathed life into us, but he breathed life into, as he breathed into us as humans, to be free. 
And so the things that work against freedom, the things that work against our freedom, are contrary to God's purposes and plans and God's intent for our lives. And so this bond that had been taken out against us, this handwriting that had been made against us, however you want to understand that the debt that had been written against us is contrary to how we were created, contrary to the purposes of God, contrary to the things and the plans that God has for us. And, and so I, I want to encourage you, and you hear me talk about this a lot, is thinking about what was God's creative created purpose in our lives. And, and you have to go back to the beginning to really begin to look at that, but looking at how he created Adam and Eve, and we read the creation story, and you begin to get an idea of, well, why did God create them? Well, only in the sense that, what did he give them to do? What was their job? What was his expectations of them? What was his interaction with them? What was the relationship that the creator had with his creation? And what do we see through that in the creation story? Uh, you, you see uh, a very personal relationship. You see a relationship where God walks through the garden in the cool of the day looking for them. You see a relationship where they speak face to face. You see a relationship where, where the father, where the creator is concerned for his creation. You see a relationship that is free. I mean, they were created, they were given exactly, and I mean exactly one limitation in their existence. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created people, he created them in such a way, I'm going to put you in this paradise, I'm going to put you in this garden, I'm going to give you these chores to do, these things keep you busy, you can name the animals, you have dominion over the earth. I mean, all of these things that he had woven into what he had created, but he, he spoke to them, he said, all right, so you have, of all of the myriad of things that you can possibly do in this creation that I put you in, and you can do thousands of things, you can take as many days as you need to to explore the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of things that you can do. You have one limitation. Just one. And if you think about that, that's, that's a good freedom. A good freedom that they were free to go about doing just about, except for one thing, think about the million things they could have done. There's a lot of freedom in that. The tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of things that they could have been doing on that day or whenever that day was, and, and maybe they did for many of the days. Maybe they were in the garden for 100 days or 1,000 days or 10,000 days. We don't know. We don't know how long they were there. But they were given one limitation, exactly one. And that was it. And so they were put into a situation, and you can see God's intent in this, that they were free. They're free to go about their lives. They're free to enjoy their lives. They're free to go about whatever it is they were going to do, except for one thing. That was it. Just one thing. And so we were created with this and for this and by him who intended this for us, that we're going to live freely. And, and other things in the scriptures, as you read and, and you look at it, oftentimes it, it's instructive to put certain interpretations of how people interpret different things in the Bible up against, well, what was God's creative purpose for us? And that's a valid question. So if, if he created us for A, B, and C, 
how does this, whatever it is you're reading, fit into his created purpose over our lives? And I think that's instructive for us because it helps us to understand and interpret other parts of the scripture. Because I think sometimes people interpret things from kind of weird perspectives, like, well, whose perspective are we going to do this from? From the person over there or this culture over here or these people over there? Well, that's very limiting. Well, let's start with, okay, well, how did God make us? What did he intend for us? What does he have for us? And I could give you a concrete example, I guess, but what, what I'm trying to get at is that it's not just one thing and it's not two things or three things, but it's really as we look at life and we look at God's creation, we look at our place in that creation, is really take a hold of, okay, these are principles of what God intends. Now, one of those principles is this idea of freedom. We were created to live freely. So, Whatever this bond is and whatever this writing is against us works against or contrary to the way God created us and what he created us for. And so, therefore, there was provision then being made in order to set us free from that. There's provision that's being made in order to cancel out that bond, in order to cancel out that debt, that's working contrary to how God created us. And, and I hope that kind of makes sense to you. That, that the reason that this takes place is it wasn't what God had intended. It wasn't what he had made us for. It wasn't why he breathed the breath of life into us to live like that. And because of that, provision was being made in order that we can enter into and remain in the purposes that God created us to live in and i I know that kind of sounds simple but it is not but it is it is simple and it's important for us to understand it i believe in in simple in simple ways because i think over complicating things overthinking things trying to put too much detail into things just gives us an excuse to ignore it I was listening to a book today in my car, and it was it, it just there was a story being told, and I don't know it could be one of the most confusing stories I've ever heard. I have no idea. It was close if it wasn't, and it just kept going on and on and on. It was a sh- and it wasn't a good story. It was just about cows and sheep, and so I'm listening to this story about cows and sheep. And there's the mean sheep, and then there's the rams, and the one ram rises up, and he goes against, but then there's wolves, and then there's, I I just got so confused listening to this story. It was so convoluted, I just tuned it out. And I just let it finish. And I didn't worry about it, because I didn't care. And and the problem with overcomplicating God's word, overcomplicating God's purposes, God's plan, God's will is that that's what we do with that, too. We just ignore it. It becomes too complicated. It becomes too convoluted. It becomes too much for us to really take a hold of. And so we just ignore it and wait for it to finish. Like I did with that story about the lambs and the rams and the, and the goats and, and the cows. Because there were white cows and red cows and black cows. But I don't care. And there was mean sheep and there were nice sheep. I don't care. 
And it was so complicated. Like I said, it went on for probably 40 minutes about cows, sheep, and goats. And I just couldn't listen to it anymore, and I just tuned it out. Well, when teaching gets like that, and when we start to, to, to really overthink what God is saying and what God is doing, we're going to tend to tune it out. That's just human nature. I don't think I'm unique in that, that, wow, this is really complicated, and I start thinking of something else. And that's exactly what happened. I, I might have made it, I might have made it eight to ten minutes in that story. And then I just tuned it out, and that was it. So instead of tuning it out, let's keep it simple. Because keeping it simple to me is a lot more productive in our lives if we're going to take hold of what God has for us. Because if there's joy in that, let's take hold of it. If there's peace in that, let's take hold of it. If there's purpose in that, let's take a hold of that. If there's a future in that, let's take a hold of that. Because that's what he provides. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he gives us as part of his intended purpose for our lives. So let's take a hold of that. That it doesn't have to be this overly crazy, complicated story in our mind. It could be fairly simple. Because what you see in these two verses, I mean, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And the first part of the gospel is very legal. This, this is a very legal statement here, is that you've got a bill in your name. You owe a debt. A bond has been written against you. And so that's over your head. And so somehow, some way, you're going to have to pay that. You don't have the means to pay it. And so then you become a slave. Follow what I'm saying? Remember, this is their culture, not our culture. So then you become a slave. You become a bond slave. That's what bond slave means. Because that's the choice. You can't pay it. And so you're going to make a decision. It's like, well, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to, how to process all this. And so you become a bond slave. Because you don't really take hold of the provision that's being given to you. So that's the first part of this legal part. Now he talks about how he blots it out in this verse. It's being blotted out. In other words, it's being erased, you could say. Covered over. No longer in effect. And then he talked about this nailed to the cross. And so understand why it says that. It says that because, yeah, it was blotted out. And that would, that would be by divine mercy. In other words, a simple act of divine mercy does that. But beyond it being canceled only by a simple act of divine mercy, it's absolutely destroyed on the cross. So in other words, even though it's blotted out, it still exists, right? There's still a piece of paper there. Well, I don't know anything because it's blotted out. Correct. That's the divine mercy. But then it's nailed to the cross, meaning, and get the picture in your head, it's been destroyed. So that writ, that, that paper, that debt, that bond that has been written against you is not only canceled legally, but it's also destroyed. So then it's not brought up again. It's done. It's gone. That's it. 
Because the blood of Jesus, and I don't talk about this a lot because it's kind of, people don't really understand this language, but I'm just going to say it because the Bible says it. We don't have this in our culture, so we don't really understand it very much, but the blood of Jesus is the satisfaction of the debt. It cancels and destroys the bond. And there's a change of tense that takes place here in, in that one verse. You've got it talking about this is what's happening. And then when it talks about how this has been canceled, how this bond has been destroyed, it changes tenses because it says that Jesus isn't taking it away. The tense has changed to Jesus took it away. Literally out of the way. So he takes this thing, this stumbling block. He takes this thing, this thing that we keep tripping over. He takes this thing, this thing that keeps us as bond slaves. He takes this thing that's in the way of living the life that he's given us to live. This thing that is in our path of actually living freely, the way that we are intended, the way that God intended that we live. He takes this thing and he takes it right out of the way. It's gone. That's the legal side of it it's over it's done and that freedom remains that's it that's it now i'm not telling you anything you don't know i think i don't think we're, we're talking about the gospel we're talking about the work of jesus we're talking about what he has done but i think sometimes it helps us helps us to think in terms of okay this is a legal transaction it's a legal transaction and so because it's a legal transaction what needed to be done in order for it to be gone what needed to be done for it to be canceled what needed done for it to be destroyed what was needed for it to be done to be taken completely and utterly out of the way has been accomplished and so it is null and abolished that contract is gone so legally, it's been taken out of our midst, it's been wholly removed, and the obstruction is gone. So I look at Ephesians 2.15. Ephesians This fine. All right. So you see this described in a bunch of different ways. Uh, Paul is, he was a Pharisee. He was a legalist. That's what he did. He was trained that way. He understood it. And he understood that there was a debt that needed to be paid. He understood that there was something that needed to be taken care of. There was a legal thing that was against us. And how do you describe being set free? Well, he did it in legal terms. That this is how you're set free. Jesus. So you're either going to accept that or you're not going to accept that. I, I don't know how else to explain it. So in other words, whatever you're concerned about, you're living in guilt, well, that's you're living as a bond slave. 
You're living in shame. You're living as a bond slave. See, that, that's how that manifests in our life when we're living that way. Because we're still living under the bond. We're still living under the debt. We're still living under that thing which we think is written somewhere. The issue becomes, are we going to believe what Jesus says? I mean, with a simple faith, are we going to trust him? In other words, Jesus has taken that, he's blotted it out, he's nailed it to the cross, it doesn't even exist anymore, and so it's on us to take a little bit of faith on that, take a little bit of trust on that, and trust him that he has taken care of the legality of that thing, so you don't have to live as a bond slave anymore. That's no longer over your head. And so you need to get out from underneath the guilt, and you need to get out from underneath the condemnation, self-condemnation. You need to get out from underneath the shame and begin to live freely, because that's what you were created to do. You're, you're actually moving more into God's purposes for your life by living freely. You're actually moving into more of God's purposes for your life by shedding that guilt and shedding that shame. That's how you begin to enter into it. It's like, this is what God intended. This is how God created. I mean, when he was in the garden and he's looking for Adam and Eve and they're sewing fig leaves together or whatever they're doing, trying to cover their nakedness, you know, he finds them. He's like, hey, what's going on? Why are you hiding? He's like, well, we were, we were ashamed because we were naked. And God's question was, who told you you were naked? Right. He's confronting their slavery to shame because it already entered into it. That's what had happened. You see, no one told them they were naked. They told themselves because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decided in their mind, even though God had never, God created them naked, God had been around them when they were naked. God was walking through the cool of the day with them naked. God had, had talked face to face with them when they were naked. They had lived their lives in front of each other naked. All this had been taking place for God only knows how long till the one day in their brain they said, because they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, oh, this is bad. After how many days of doing it? Bad is bad now. How many months? How many years? Doesn't matter. Because that day, that day, they decided, oh, this is bad. And so they ran away from God and hid. They became slaves. Well, God's calling us out of that. Just like he's trying to call them out of that. He's calling us out of that. He didn't create them for that. He didn't make them that way. And so what's his intent? What was his intent in creation? Wasn't that they, they're not going to live that way? His intent in creation was for him to live freely. Well, this is Jesus calling us out. I was like, all right, I took all that you're worried about, all that stuff, all the legality, all that stuff you messed up, all that stuff you owe for, all that stuff you have debt for, all that stuff. I've taken all that stuff, canceling it out. You're all good. The legal situation solved. In fact, not only am I going to blot it out, I'll nail it to the cross. It's going to be completely destroyed. Don't worry about that part anymore. Now go live your lives. Let's live it out. And the only reason people ever ask, well, why would he do that? Well, it's because they wouldn't, you know. And they don't have that much love, I guess. Or they don't have that much grace. Or they don't understand how God intended for us to live from the very beginning. 
because he's just restoring what he said he was going to do from the start. He's restoring how he created us. This isn't some new thing. This fact is a very old thing. He wants us to live freely because that's what he did. He created us to live that way. And so that's the first part of this. He, he answers the legality of it. He's like, all right, so, because some people think in terms of legality. I mean, Paul was brought up to think that. I mean, back then, the lawyers were people that were experts in the law. Like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They were all experts in the law. So lawyers, that's what they did. And so that's what Paul had been about his whole life is being a lawyer. He'd been all about the legality of it all. He'd been all about how he's awesome and those people are terrible. He'd been all about, you know, the, the whole idea of comparison, all about all those things that we just don't care about. But that's what he was about. And so when he's writing back to the church and he's saying, okay, well, this is the gospel, number one, it's a legal issue. Because some people think in terms of legal issues. It's like, so we're going to take care of it right away that this is a legal issue. Jesus says is the blood of Jesus has set you free from this. It's blotted out, nailed to the cross, gone. This is no longer an issue. Go live your life. I mean, if you went to if you if you were charged with a crime and you went to court and the judge was like, "Yeah, we're just going to let this go. Don't worry about it." Are you going to insist on going to jail? No, I mean, really, in a physical sense, would you insist on going to jail? Well, why live that way spiritually? Why are you insisting to live in jail spiritually when God says you're free? Why? Why you got to make something up? People make stuff up all the time. They make stuff up all the time as to why this is too easy. How is it too easy? If the judge says you're free and, and we ain't going to take this any further, it's over. It's over. The gavel hits and you're done. If you dismiss that ticket, that speeding ticket, well, you're in a hurry to get some bang. Don't worry about it. If he dismisses the ticket, you going to pay it? I hope not. Because that'd be kind of stupid, wouldn't it? If the judge dismisses your speeding ticket, but you're still trying to pay it. Smart? Not smart. Wait, wait, wait. Not smart, right? You want to do that. So why are we doing that spiritually? You following what I'm saying? And so I want you to take hold of that, the legality of that, and let that just get in your brain. I don't know how, but let it get in there. Uh, if you're brought up in some, certain religions and certain, uh, certain forms of Christianity even, you, you, you were brought up in kind of a, because there's certain forms of Christianity that are very guilt-based. They control people through guilt. There's other religions that control people through guilt. That's not what Christianity is really about. It's not about controlling people through guilt. It's just not. And so if you were brought up in that, you got to realize that that's just not what the gospel's about. And, and well-meaning people may have brought you up in certain ways of thinking about things, but that doesn't mean that's what the gospel's about. It just means that they were well-meaning, doing the best that they could. They were telling you what they knew, and that was it. But it doesn't mean you got to keep doing that. It doesn't mean you have to keep living that way. It doesn't mean you have to keep believing that, carrying that around like a big piece of baggage or something, dragging it around. You don't have to do that. There are things I was taught as a kid, you got to let go 
all right? Things I was told as a child, I had to let go of. Because I guess like Paul, sometimes when you're a child, you think as a child, but when you grow up, you think like an adult. And so certain things will change in the way that you see things. Certain things will change the way that you, you think about things. It's all right. It's called growth. It's maturity. Being willing to change your mind about certain things and leave certain childish things behind, do it. Do it. So, so we take care of that. We're going to take care of the legal side of it. And maybe for some of you, that's super important. And maybe, and maybe it is. That. And I mean, in a sense, it's important to all of us, but for some of you, it may hit home in some area that you really need to, to hit home in. And, and let some of the whatever it is you've been carrying around just fall off. God doesn't want you to live, I'm going to say this, I want to say this in a positive way. God does not want you living in guilt and shame. The Bible says that Jesus despised the shame when he was going to the cross. It means he hated it. You should hate it too. You should hate it too. And I had a little debate one time, a long time ago, with a guy who was a clinical psychiatrist. Well, he was a forensic psychiatrist. But who became a clinical psychiatrist. But he... We're having a, a debate one night at, at a Bible study. We're talking about what good comes out of guilt. I mean, what real good ever comes out of guilt? And, and my position was none. None. And he took, he, he did, he took a couple different tacks. He was trying to figure out a way to, to weasel in a good one. There just weren't any. And we went through it. We went, we talked for probably 20 minutes. Everybody else probably bored to death, but we talked for about 20 minutes about that, which I thought was something important for him. He's like, where are we going to come up with something good here? You can't. Shame doesn't do it. Guilt doesn't do it. Change doesn't come from either one of those. There's not any permanent change. So... So you let go. Just let go. So the next verse, you got Jesus. And it gives us a picture of Jesus, which I think is important because it, it begins to speak of the, the military side of this. So we got the legal side done. And so now the gospel in terms of well, what does that look like? How does that manifest? Well, you can say freedom because it is freedom. But how is this going to manifest spiritually in our life? Okay, so he begins talking about a complete victory. And that's really uh, what this verse is all about, is that it's a complete victory. So the legality of it solved, blotted out, nailed to the cross, gone. Forget about that. So what, is it, what does that produce? It produces a complete and utter victory for Jesus. Everything is subject to him. Somebody look at John twelve thirty one. John twelve thirty one. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. All right, and so the Jesus speaking 
is speaking of a time which was quickly coming up by John chapter 12 where things were just going to get taken care of. Because you look to the cross, you look to the resurrection of Jesus, things are just going to get taken care of. And, and so that's significant for us as Christians because that was, that's a moment when this was brought about. Because philosophically, you can look at stuff and you can say, all right, well, well the idea of the contract, the idea of the bond, the idea of the debt being blotted out, nailed to the cross and destroyed. Okay, well, that's a concept. That's, that, that's a nice way of thinking about it. Well, something physically really had to happen. And that was Jesus had to die. And then Jesus rose again. And that's why the cross and the resurrection are important to us because that's when this changed. That's when victory was realized, accomplished, through a physical act of death to life. And so victory was realized through that time frame, that moment. That's why we take the time to celebrate that every year. All right? and, and we should celebrate the resurrection more than once a year, but I want you to think about that for a second. That's why we take the time to do that. Because that was significant. It's a significant moment where everything changed. Where all that debt was gone. Where our enemy was defeated. Where everything changed. And so the moment where everything changes is worth remembering. And it's important for you to remember that. The moment where everything changes is also significant enough that we should celebrate that. Now, we should celebrate that moment and those moments when everything changed. We should be celebrating that regularly. Like, because everything changed for the better. Everything changed that we could be free. Everything changed that we're walking with Jesus in victory. Everything changed that our lives could be eternal. That we'll pass from life to life now. That the last enemy was defeated. That is death. And so if you think about death being annulled and being canceled, then we pass from life, we're living right now, into another life. That's done. And so that's significant enough to me as a physical thing. That's significant enough to me as a thing that we should be celebrating that if only to remember we should be celebrating that if only to remind ourselves of it on a more than yearly basis. That everything has changed. Everything has changed. And so this verse here, the next verse in verse 15 of Colossians 2, it talks about disarming the spiritual rulers and authorities. And the word there literally is to strip off to strip off. So it, the, the spiritual rulers and authorities have been disarmed. In other words, what they have has been stripped off or plundered. You know, the word pl- I love the word plunder. What does the word plunder mean to you? Like when an army comes through and they plunder, what's their, what are they doing? They're taking stuff, all right? They're just taking stuff. Yeah. And that's the prerogative, or was the prerogative of victorious armies that they would plunder. 
They just take stuff. They saw something they wanted, they'd take it. Yeah. And so the work of Jesus in the cross, the work of Jesus at the cross, the work of Jesus at the resurrection is that he's plundered the enemy. And I take that quite literally. I just do. When I was doing campus ministry, one of the things that we would do is we'd go into these campuses and part of the, the first and initial thing is to actually just get on the campus. Because uh, every place I ever went, there was no administrator that was like, oh, great, you want to start a Christian group on our campus? Come on. It never happened. Like, uh, I think we already have a Christian group. Why do we need another one? And that's my job to explain to him why they needed another one. So I made my money. So that would be what happened. We get onto the campus. But the thing that I really believed about this is that Jesus is in the business of plundering the goods. And so I would literally believe for that when it came to people. And I would look for people on campus. Who's the most popular person I can find? I want that one. Who's the guy that is the smartest person I can find? I want that one. Who's the one that's at the top of their class? I want that one. And you might think to yourself, well, in that kind of, you know, shouldn't you be taking the poor and the destitute? Yeah, I'll take them too. But I want, they'll come anyway. I want those ones. <laughs> I draw losers, man. They all come. All right, I don't worry about them. I want the other ones. All right? I want them. And so I took that quite literally. And just about every campus that we were ever on, if you look at the people that made up the people that were part of our ministry, it was those people. Because I didn't just sit there and just say, oh, I'll take anybody. Well, I do take anybody. But I specifically looked and said, I want those people. Because my, my God, my Savior, has plundered the work of the enemy. And then I look around at people confused. I look at people like sheep without a shepherd. I look at people that don't know where they're going, what they're doing. That's who Jesus died for. I want them. And uh, you know, I can tell you stories after story just being on campuses. And uh, we started at Fredonia. And I came to this realization while I was running a campus ministry at Fredonia. And I began to look around. And I said, what are we doing? Who do we, what does God have for us? Who does God have for us? And I happened to be out that night and there was a band playing. And I looked up at the bass player and I'm like, him, him, Bill McNamara, him. There, I named him by name. And we just started praying for that kid. We started hanging out at his dorm, sitting outside. We'd take a shift at like 2 or 3 in the morning. He'd be coming back from a gig or coming back from going out. We'd be sitting on the steps of his dorm. You can call that stalking if you want. He didn't know we were there after him, but you can call it what you want. But we were praying for that guy. And there came a day where that guy came around and become, he became probably the best student leader I ever had. Somehow, can I tell you how that happened? I don't know. Jesus. But we have to have some expectation. Like this has to manifest somehow. 
And this is what I'm trying to tell you, is that you've got this theory, you've got this thought. But the kingdom of God isn't just about thinking. It's about doing. It's about action. And, and there's something about that that we need to get into our heart and get into our mind. Is that we don't really have this huge theoretical faith. We have a faith of action. You want to talk to me about love? You want to give me eight definitions of love? You want to talk to me about how, you know, love and what love means to you? You want to write me a song about love? You can do all those things, all right? But you know what I'm really looking for? A little bit of action. A little bit of action. Because the God that we serve and the faith that we are a part of is about action. It's not just about talk. And you find that, you know, Paul talking to the Romans, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And he makes that really clear. Because Romans, man, they used to theorize about anything. They'll talk to you about anything, kind of like the Greeks. They'll sit around having discussions and, and theoretical discussions and all the rest of that. And there's a good place for that. And I don't mind doing that sometimes. But when it comes to our faith and it comes to who we are, the kingdom of God isn't a matter of talk. It's, it's about power. It's about actually doing something. And I want to encourage you that way. That's why I brought up this thing. You know, it's kind of a weird thing where I'm saying, okay, well, he, you know, he, he's gonna, we're gonna plunder. And I started naming, and I, I gave you something to plunder, people. Okay, that's kind of weird, right? And I can tell you a story about doing that in the past and, and seeing how God raised those people up. You take a look at, at, uh, who we had as part of our leadership coming out of Syracuse University after we were there for a while. All right. You take a look at some of those people. They're some of the smartest people I've ever known. We prayed them in. We prayed them in. We believed God for them. And they came around. So, you know, I look at there's a couple of them that had no, no, zero thought about Jesus until one day they did. They just did. And so I want you to understand that this isn't just about talking about it. It's actual people. It's actual things. It's actual action. It's actual power. It's actually God moving in people's lives. But you've got to have some expectation for that to take place. It's called faith. And faith is the stuff that, that we see things happen through. That's that expectation. It's like, well, I don't, you didn't know you're supposed to expect it. Well, now you do. And so if you're going to expect that and you're going to, you want to see that, then that's going to require faith, right? That's the expectation. That's the simple trust that what God says he's going to do. All right. And you see some powerful things happen. That's how it happens. That's what happens. That's, what, that's how things get done in the kingdom. And so in that verse, it, it talks about disarming, stripping, plundering the spiritual rulers and authorities. I always think of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. When they left Egypt, you know, it's a finally, I mean, Pharaoh had had enough. After the slaughter of the firstborn, 
He's like, get your people, get your animals, get your children, get everything and go. Get out of here. That was, you know, that was after the last thing. But then if you read it, the Bible talks about how the, that, uh, the children of Israel asked the Egyptians for like silver and gold and all this other stuff and plundered those people. They actually just gave it to them. Gave them the silver, gave them the gold, gave them all the fabric, gave them all the good stuff. And they walked out of Egypt, not only free, but carrying a bunch of the Egyptian stuff that they just gave to them to leave with. Right. I think about that. It's like, yeah. Freedom's, that'd be good enough, right? Getting set free? Been living as slaves for 400 years? All right. So I'm free. That seems to be enough, but no, God's got more. He's going to give you the plunder. So they, so we have that. So then he talks about putting those powers, the spiritual rulers and authorities, to public shame through the cross. Now what's interesting about that is the cross is supposed to be shameful. That's how criminals died. But the Bible says that Jesus, despising the shame, went to the cross. Him despising the shame, hating the shame, vehemently hating the shame, turned this around. The cross then became triumphant, and the powers and principalities were put to shame through that. He turned it right around. No one saw that coming. No one saw that coming. And and you have this idea, this picture of a Roman triumph. Somebody look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written. Right, so that's the cross, right? And that's supposed to be shameful. But it became triumphant. I want to encourage you to despise the shame in your life. And see how God turns things around. If you begin to despise the shame in your own life, see how God turns things around for you. Just hate it. Hate it. Have enough sense to hate it. Because it ain't going to do you any good. Living in shame is not going to do you any good. It's going to hurt you. Hate it. Just hate it. And see what happens. And so so we get this picture of a triumph, a Roman triumph. What's a Roman triumph? Well, Roman triumph is when a leader from Rome went somewhere and just wiped something out. Just got a big victory. And so what he would do after the victory is that he would take a bunch of the people that he conquered. He'd take the kings and the princes of the people that he conquered. He'd take probably some, uh, some of the nice stuff that they had to plunder them out. Maybe get some exotic animals from the area where it would be. And he'd go back 
and have a huge parade. And so it marched through the streets with this huge parade and put on public display the people that he conquered. The, 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 the people that he was walking through, the princes, the, the kings that he conquered, they're on public display, ridicule, all the stuff that he plundered, jewels or gold or silver or whatever it was, just right in front of the people. And the idea was that all the people could look at that and they could say, good job. And they could see how complete and utterly these people had been conquered by this returning leader. It was proof. It was proof of victory. And so the picture we have in Colossians is Jesus doing that. He's bringing public shame upon the powers and upon the spiritual rulers and upon the spiritual authorities that he had stripped, plundered, and disarmed. He brings public shame on them. So we're called to take a look at that, the triumph, and see that as proof of victory. Did Jesus really do it? Yes. How do you know? He's leading a triumph. He's showing it to you. If you just see it. If you just see it. He's showing you the powers and the rulers and the spiritual authorities and all that that he has beaten. And all the goods that have been plundered are proof of his victory. Because I'll tell you something, that guy Bill McNamara, he was proof, proof of Jesus' victory. And the others that have come since then and even before him, are proof of Jesus' victory. Some of you are proof of Jesus' victory. And you can look at one another and see each other that way. So we need to live free of judgment. If the contract is null and void, that's the legal sign. If it's taken out of our midst, wholly removed, the obstruction is gone. So the legal side is done. Now you have the conqueror returning from his victory, and the triumph is showing his spoils openly. We can live as free men and women. There's nothing else to prove. There's nothing left to ponder. In every way, it's done and then has been made manifest in our lives. So it's not just the legal idea, it's the physical manifestation in and through our lives, through Jesus' triumph. We just need to live in it. And as I've said before, I can't make you live in freedom. I just can't. And 
There may be a part of some of us that you'd rather live as a bond slave. You need to pray that out of yourself because that's demonic. That is against God's purpose, God's plan, and God's intent for your life. And if you find yourself wanting to live as a slave, you need to begin to pray that out of yourself. And if you can't pray it out of yourself, get somebody else to pray over you, get rid of that. God wants us to live freely. He created us to live freely, and he's provided for us that we might live freely. We just need to enter into it and actually do it. Let that manifest through our lives. Because none of this talk matters if it doesn't do anything for our life. None of this talk is going to mean anything unless we're going to live freely. It's just not. And we can read a thousand words we can read ten thousand words they don't mean anything unless there's some manifestation of that in and through our life we can hear ten thousand words about something but it needs to matter there needs to be some manifestation through our life of of what that is the gospel the gospel the gospel well, how's that manifesting in your life jesus 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 awesome how's he manifesting in your life Talk, talk, talk about Christianity. Great. But what does that mean in manifestation, in reality, in your life? And that's where something needs to happen. A change of heart, a change of mind, yes. But actually changing the way we live. I want to live like a free man. I just do. I don't want to live in the guilt. I don't want to live in the shame. I don't want to live in the worry. I don't want to live in the anxiety. I don't want to live in any of that kind of stuff. I want to live as a free person. That's how I want to live. That's how I'm going to live. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for uh, just what you provided. Uh, Jesus, thanks. Thanks that uh, we... we understand legally things to take care of it's just done God I pray that you'd help us to live it I just want to live it I want to get up and I want to live my life in such a way that it's the reality of what you've done because we can talk about what you did we can think about what you did but we need to live it in reality we need to manifest that truth in our life. And so God, I pray for a people to be raised up right here now. A people to be raised up that will manifest the truth of Jesus. The truth of, of what he's provided, the truth of, uh, of that which he has done to set us free, the truth of the legal requirements being met and done with, that that would manifest as we live our lives as free men and free women. And so God, I just ask you today that something would snap in our brains that we just need to live. Something would snap in our brains that we don't have to live in guilt, we don't have to live in shame. Something would snap in our brain that you created us to live a certain way and that we'd just enter into it. We'd enter into it. 
here, now, tonight, tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. You came that we might have life, Jesus, and that more abundantly. And so I pray that kind of life over us. You've done everything necessary for us to live that kind of a life. You provided everything we need. You've done it. We need to enter into it. We need to accept the proof of your triumph. Thanks. Thanks. Let's pray we can rejoice in that triumph. We can live in the fruit of that triumph. The victory that God has given. So God, tonight, I thank you. I thank you. <laughs> we just respond to you. Just take a moment, respond to him. Right where you're at. You need to tell him something, tell him. If you need to make a declaration to him, make a declaration to him. Whatever you got to do. Just take a moment. Solidify something, cement something in your heart, your mind tonight. Say, yeah, starting now or starting tonight. A, B, C. I believe you. I see your victory. I see your triumph, whatever it is. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Yeah, we give you thanks and praise tonight. We ask these things. We commit these things. In Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight. Good to see you. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Well, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.